The victim, a nationally known and wealthy American celebrity, the crime blackmail. It was late September 2009, and David Letterman gets a threatening letter. Fork over $2 million or be exposed as a serial philanderer who had sexual relations with women who worked for him. The threat to extort cash blew up in the blackmailer's face when Letterman went public on national television, copying to the sex while exposing the criminal scheme to shake him down. In so doing, Letterman wrote a playbook that was adopted, at least in part, in recent days when Jeff Bezos, the super billionaire chief of Amazon, went public with an eerily similar threat by AMI, the parent company of the National Enquirer, to publish embarrassing photos of his sexual dalliance with his girlfriend, unless he agreed to the newspaper's demands. Now federal prosecutors are reportedly examining the National Enquirer's conduct to determine if it too was engaged in blackmail. We'll look back at the Letterman episode and explore the similarities and the differences with the Bezos National Enquirer dust-up on this episode of Buried Treasure. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. You know, everybody has been applauding Jeff Bezos for going public with this AMI National Enquirer threat to expose more embarrassing pictures of him. And everybody's forgotten that David Letterman went through something very similar and um, went even more public. He did it on national television, not on medium, and basically exposed his blackmailer, a guy named Joe Haldeman, who had worked for CBS, and broke the mold right there. It really seems very similar to what uh, Bezos is doing, although in some respects on an even larger scale. Yeah, I, I had completely forgotten about that episode um, until you uh, dug it up and sent me the clip on uh, YouTube. And it is fascinating to watch. I think I actually watched it live when it happened. The weird thing about it is as you're watching it, you don't know... And the audience, the live audience, didn't know what he was going to say. And there's always a built-up expectation with David Letterman, of course, is that he's going to be joking. And this was a really serious issue. Right. Because not right. only was you he know, exposing I mean, a serious crime, but on national television, he was also acknowledging that he had done some pretty sleazy things, uh, i.e. having uh, sexual affairs with people who worked for him. It's just bizarre in that sense. But of course, there are these parallels and it makes you kind of wonder whether Bezos, you know, was just taking a page from the Letterman playbook, whether he knew about or remembered what Letterman had done. Well, as, as I'm going to point out in a minute, there's a lot of similarities, but there is a big difference, which we'll talk about. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, we're going to play this clip. 
which is so interesting to listen to or watch. You can watch it on YouTube because as you point out, the audience at first thinks he's joking, that he's telling a funny story that's going on. And the more they listen, you can hear the more the laughter gets nervous. Like, exactly, oh, exactly. where is this going? Especially when he starts copping to the fact that he's had these sexual affairs and he's engaged in conduct that and, is uh, not something anybody would want the world to know about. And that's, um, we, that strange juxtaposition of the audience's reaction, thinking it's funny, then realizing it isn't, and starting to titter nervously, and the seriousness of what Letterman is saying makes it all the more powerful. But I think we should listen to the clip and then uh, on the other side talk about it, the similarities and the differences to, to the Bezos uh, situation. Got it. I, uh, <clears throat> I'm glad you folks are uh, here tonight, and I'm glad you're in such a, a pleasant mood because uh, I have a little story that I would like to tell you and uh, the home viewers as well. Do you feel like a story? <laughs> this, uh, this started uh, three weeks ago uh, yesterday, and uh, I, got up, uh, I get up early and I come to work early, and I go out and I get into my car, and in the, the back seat of my car is a, a package I, I don't recognize and have never seen before and, and don't usually receive packages six in the morning in the back of my car. I get to looking through it and uh, there's a, a letter in the package and it says that I know that you do some terrible, terrible things <laughs> and I can prove that you do these terrible things and sure enough contained in the package was stuff to prove that I do terrible things. So I uh, go through it and I study it. And what this is, is a, a guy is going to write a screenplay about me. And he's going to take all of the terrible stuff that he knows about my life. And he seems to, in this packet, there seems to be quite a lot of terrible stuff he knows about. <laughs> and he's going to put it into a, a movie unless I give him some money. Yeah. I just want to reiterate how terrifying this moment is because there's something very insidious about is he standing down there? Is he hiding under the car? <laughs> am, I, am I going to get a tap on the shoulder? Mm. You immediately, because I, I'm motivated by nothing but guilt. I get to the office and I say to myself, I hate doing things like this, but maybe I'll call my attorney. So I call my attorney and he takes a look at it and he says, well, let's, let's schedule a meeting with the guy just to see what he has in mind. So there, there's a meeting with the guy and uh, it turns out, yes, in fact, he wants a, a large sum of money or he's going to produce this uh, screenplay of all the terrible things that I do. <laughs> e embarrassing, terrible things. <laughs> So then we call uh, uh, an operation called the Special Prosecution Bureau, which is a division of the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. We call down there. So we took the stuff down there and they said, whoa, hello, this is blackmail. Um, so they said, what you want to do is get an, another meeting with this guy find out if he's serious. So they have the second meeting and the question was posed, now do you, are you aware that this is serious? This is a, 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 could be a crime and you know, is there, no, no, it's fine. I'm fine with that. And oh, by the way, <clears throat> not only am I writing a screenplay, 
I'm writing a, a book. So I thought, well, that's nice. You have a companion piece, you have the film, <laughs> and, and you have the book. And remember, this guy knows creepy stuff about me. So they had the second meeting, and he was reassured that everything uh, was just fine. Then a third meeting is arranged, and, and uh, if there's a light-hearted moment in any of this, and I'm not sure there really is, the third meeting, the third meeting is arranged whereby he's uh, given uh, the check. Now, I, I don't think I've mentioned the amount up till now, but he was uh, asking uh, $2 million. Wow. So the check is turned over. So now this guy is uh, walking around New York City with a phony check for $2 million. And the idea is now, uh, although he's given no guarantees, he's still saying, well, you, you know, you never know. I may just go ahead and write the books. I may just still go ahead and write the screenplay. So for that uh, guarantee, he's got a phony check for $2 million. So <clears throat> this, this morning I did something I've never done in my life, and it was a combination of just unusual and scary. The whole, this whole thing has been quite scary. Uh, I had to go downtown to the uh, testify before the grand jury. Yeah. And I had to tell them how I was disturbed by this. I was worried for myself. I was worried for my family. Uh, I, f I felt menaced by this. Uh, and I had to tell them uh, all of the creepy things that I have done that were going to be... <laughs> well, now, why is that funny? That's, I mean... So... Uh, So the idea is if they believe, in fact, a crime has been committed, then they issue a warrant. And that's exactly what happened. And uh, a little bit after noon today, the guy was arrested. Ah. Now, <clears throat> now, of course, <clears throat> we get to what was all the creepy stuff <laughs> that he was going to put into the, the screenplay and, and the movie. And uh, the creepy stuff was that I have... Uh, had sex with women who work for me on this show. Now, my response to that is, yes, I have. <laughs> I have had sex with women who work on this show. <clears throat> and and would it be em embarrassing if it were made public? Perhaps it would. Perhaps it would. <laughs> Especially for the women. Uh, but that's a decision for them to make if they want to come public and talk about uh, the relationships, if I want to go public and talk about the relationships. But what you don't want is a guy saying, oh, I know, I know you had sex with women, so I, I, I would like $2 million or I'm, I'm going to make trouble for you. So that's where we stand right now. I just want to thank the people at the Special Prosecution Bureau and the Manhattan District Attorney's Office, uh, Robert Morgenthau, who is uh, uh, head of that. It's... Uh, it's been a very bizarre experience. Uh, I feel like I need to protect these people. I need to certainly protect my family. I need to protect myself, uh, hope to protect my job and the friends, uh, everybody that uh, has been very supportive through this. And I don't plan to say much more about this on this particular topic. So thank you for letting me bend you. 
absolutely fascinating to listen to. It was fascinating at the time, but even more so now. I should point out that there's a coda to the story, which is about six months later, in March of 2010, the blackmailer, a guy named uh, Robert Joe Haldeman, a former CBS producer, pleads guilty to attempted second-degree grand larceny and gets a uh, six-month jail sentence and five years probation, a thousand hours of community service. And that does underscore the difference between what Letterman did and what Bezos did. When Letterman is telling that story, and as it goes on, he makes clear that he went to the cops. He went to the district attorney. He'd right. He by that office. time he'd already yeah. testified before the grand jury and was helping law enforcement apprehend this guy. Right. And they actually set the guy up. They had Letterman give a phony $2 million check. So, you know, they had the guy red-handed. And it did make me wonder, in recent days, in the uh, Bezos story, is why didn't Bezos do the same thing? Why didn't he go to the FBI and set up the folks at AMI, Dylan Howard, the chief content officer, who's sending these threatening letters saying, we've got these embarrassing photos about you, more embarrassing photos. We're going to publish them unless you do what we want, which is not give AMI money, but make a public statement exonerating them from having political motives in exposing Bezos's affair in the first place. You know, most legal commentators have looked at this and said, well, it's extortion-ish what AMI was doing, but they're not quite sure whether it completely fits the crime, that it's criminal conduct on its face. It's in the context of a legal negotiation. Yeah, the but- AMI lawyer, uh, Elkan Abramowitz, was on one of the Sunday shows over the weekend saying, hey, you know, this story was already out there. We'd already published the story. And right. so this was just a negotiation. We wanted to stop this investigation into AMI, alleging falsely in their view, that this was part of some kind of conspiracy with the Saudi government or with, uh, or Trump with Trump, the yeah. Trump White House, uh, yeah. to, to bring down Jeff Bezos you know, somehow. Um, the owner of the Washington Post. Which, of course, has been both highly critical of Trump, and yeah. Trump has gone after them in his tweets and gone after Bezos personally, but also the Washington Post, of course, is where Jamal Khashoggi, the Saudi columnist who was murdered by the Saudi government, probably by the Crown Prince, uh, based on the evidence that's out there right now. And so part of this kind of large conspiracy that, of course, the AMI and and David Pecker rejects. So this was part of a a negotiation. This was not extortion. They were not trying to get money out. Well, that's their argument. So the question is, why didn't Bezos flesh them out because think, just play it through for a moment. Suppose he did, suppose he had gone to the FBI, they could have wired him or they could have wired somebody, you know, his security chief who's been doing the investigation, have him meet with Dylan Howard, the content officer, get the get them on tape saying, you know, we demand that you do this or have more explicit comments from them on tape, making it clear they're trying to extort Bezos. And then they could have arrested, arguably, David Pecker on the spot. Think of uh, think of the optics of that one uh, if you really wanted to stick it 
to uh, AMI and the National Enquirer. So the question in my mind is, why didn't Bezos go that route? You know, well, look, there are a couple of possibilities. One is, you know, Jeff Bezos is at times the richest man in the world. He's a the ultimate master of the universe. He employs 600,000 people. His own company is somewhere between the first and fifth most valuable company in the in the world. And he's bigger than the FBI. And you know, these days you can publish uh, on a site like Medium and have very quick impact, which which he did. He's, of course, being praised now for exposing this kind of extortionist behavior as he sees it. And so, you know, maybe that's the motivation. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, he owns the Washington Post. He doesn't want to get in bed with the government on something like this. Who knows? You wonder whether they even thought about it. Did they, when they got these letters from uh, AMI, these emails, did they think about the David Letterman scenario and going the same route? Well, that, that, I mean, that is way? another, I mean, that is an, another potential argument here, which is that perhaps what Bezos is trying to do is say, this isn't just about me. This is about a kind of a culture of tabloid extortion that is out there. And if I possibly have a chance to expose these people, even if that means going public with my own mistakes, or in this case, I guess it wasn't even a mistake. This is private behavior, indiscretions. I don't know what you would call it. I'm going to do it. And it has more impact if he does it himself, as opposed to there being an FBI investigation. And frankly, I think that was part of David Letterman's motivation as well. And I I have to say, I saw a funny column. Maybe it's not so funny. I saw a column by a sex columnist uh, named uh, Dan Savage who said that he should go even further. He should actually release the (laughs) the pictures that uh, AMI has and was threatening to publish because that would make the world safe for all of those people out there, way more than you know, most people may realize, and, and all me? different ages, who actually engage in this kind of sexting and, ex- and exchanging pictures like this with people that they uh, are having romantic liaisons with. I think he should make them available to Amazon Prime members. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you, you, you got to pay uh, a little extra to get you got to pay to a get, little uh, extra, the Bezos dick pic. Dick pic. Let me. Let me. <laughs> Did I just say little... that? <laughs> Let me be a, uh, a little politically incorrect here and point out that, um, you know, the National Enquirer's behavior here, as sleazy as it seems, when cloaked in the mantle of the First Amendment, may not be totally off the mark. Let's remember an episode we've talked about on this show before, uh, you know, our colleague uh, Matt Bai wrote a book about Gary Hart and uh, how he was forced to drop out of the presidential race when he was having um, an affair with um, the woman on the monkey business. But remember a part of that and then made into that great movie, The Front Runner, which we've talked about. But remember what takes place in the latter part of that movie. The Washington Post is playing catch up on the story after the Miami Herald has broken the story of Donna Donna Rice and Gary Hart. And it gets photos of Hart having a other sexual trysts, uh, or at least it gets information about that. And what does Ben Bradley do? Ben Bradley, the editor of the Washington Post, he lets Hart know that and says, we will go with this story unless you drop out of the race. 
And that seems to be a threat that does finally force Hart's hand. So, you know, how dissimilar was what the Washington Post did in 1987 with Gary Hart and what AMI, the National Enquirer, was doing here with Jeff Bezos? Yeah, I guess, I guess the question, it's an interesting analogy, and I guess the question is, what was the Washington Post getting out of a deal like that? I mean, they weren't getting... Well, it was. It didn't have the self-interest that clearly David Pecker and his people did at, at AMI, but the actual threat it was there, and right? And it the, is, you know, there it is a s similar in in some ways to what AMI was doing here. Right. With, uh, I thought you were actually going to go when you were talking about being politically incorrect and talking about what other news organizations have done. One of the things that I thought was interesting in the medium. Uh, uh, post uh, by Bezos is he was actually making the case that the uh, Inquirer uh, didn't have the legal right to publish those pictures at all, that, uh, that, that they're hiding behind the mantle of the First Amendment, but that his lawyers concluded that uh, they don't own the rights to those pictures and that there's no legitimate public interest in publishing them. You know, I don't know, for the owner of the Washington Post to say that, that might be going a step too far. I can understand why he would feel that way and right. why he would want to mount those right. kinds of arguments. Uh, would you but, really want to be involved in litigation like that, you know, duking it out in court about the rights to the photos of, of your private parts? I yeah. mean, I don't know. It seems like that, that seemed like an unsavory uh, route for Bezos to do. But I think at this point, as we are trying to make sense of the Bezos National Enquirer episode, it really does turn on whether AMI, David Pecker, and the National Enquirer are telling the truth and saying they didn't have political motives in doing this. They're just being the sleazy supermarket tabloid that they always have been, and we're trying to run these photographs because they're good copy and they would sell at the supermarket uh, checkout counter, or whether there is something to what um, Bezos's people suspect, that there's either a political angle in sticking it to Bezos because the Bezos's lover's brother is a big Trump guy. Who, supposed, who is believed to be the person who leaked uh, these, uh, these yeah. emails, these texts uh, to... Or there's something to the Saudi angle, which would make this story, you know, far bigger than the David Letterman blackmail story would make it, you know, even bigger than it is right now, because you get the sort of international geopolitical dimension to it, that this was part of a Saudi effort to um, enhance its image in the United States, working with uh, David Pecker, and David Pecker did not want that exposed. I got to say, I think it raises questionable, if that's the case, it raises questionable judgment on the part of the Saudis if they think they can enhance their image in the United States by um, working with a guy from a tabloid named David Pecker. But, <laughs> you know, I will say that they did get a 100-page glossy magazine extolling the uh, the Saudi royal family, you know, that AMI published, which was a little bit weird. And I don't right. think, and I think if we're selling it for something like $13 on the newsstand, I doubt it sold very well. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it did not uh, grab all those uh, people at the supermarket uh, checkout counters. But in any case, if this was the Saudis 
they got a lot more than uh, Joe Halderman, David Letterman's uh, blackmailer got. He got a phony $2 million check and six months in prison. So on that note, I think we should uh, just remind our listeners that however bizarre the news seems, there's always some historical analogy, which is what we here at Buried Treasure are dedicated to showing and telling you about. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Buried Treasure. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. Be sure to follow us on social media at Skullduggery Pod. We'll talk to you on Friday. <laughs>